0: So Money, Episode 743, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Harry Campbell, the ride-share guy.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back. It is June 15th. Ask Farnoosh time. It is almost the official beginning of summer, June 15th. I uh, hope you're all having a great kickoff to your weekend. Father's Day is this weekend and our special co-host today is a new father. I'll introduce him in a minute. Uh, but I wanted to also remind you, if you haven't listened to this week's episode, please go back and do so because they're just really, really insightful and, and interesting. We had Pete Chapman on Monday who is a – Oh, gosh. He wears so many hats, but he's really an accomplished filmmaker and in so many ways, producer, director, writer, documentarian. He does episodic work. He's done films. And he's young, and he's got a lot to talk talk about with regards to the business of filmmaking, how to break into the industry, how to find your way, also how to find your way in Hollywood, which can be a whole other bag of complexities and – It was just really lovely to get to hear him talk about how he's navigated his career. You know, this isn't somebody who was making films when he was four years old like Steven Spielberg. He kind of fell in love with it towards the end of high school and fortunately had some um, good people around him who identified his talents and nurtured his skills, and he went on to do great things. But, it, you know, he had to start small. And so he really talks about that, building out that business. Yeah. So go and check that out. I want to get to our co host sooner than later going to quit the chit-chat on my end, and I want to introduce Harry Campbell, or rather reintroduce Harry Campbell. You may remember him, the rideshare guy from about a couple of years ago he was on So Money, and he is back with Ask Farnoosh because I wanted him to come on and, well, help me sift through your questions, but he's got a great new book out. He has since built out this platform guy.com is now a podcast, YouTube channel, multiple products, a book, and Harry, you're a dad now, so lots of things to catch up on. Welcome to So Money.
1: Thanks for having me on, and yeah, I think uh, the business has grown a lot, but definitely becoming a new dad is probably my best accomplishment for sure.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, so how long ago did you become a dad?
1: So my baby was born in January so he's uh, coming up on being uh, 6 months old so I'm uh, I'm still learning the ropes but he definitely he's starting to do a lot more and uh, he, he's he's a lot of fun to, to be around
0: What's been the most challenging part
1: The most challenging part is just the fact that it's the toughest job I've ever had. I mean, it's twenty four seven, and you know, when you're working for yourself or building your own business, especially, you can really, you know, my my goal is to design it in a way that I'm working on things that I like and doing things that I enjoy. But with a a baby, you don't always have that flexibility. I kind of like to call him the little dictator because he's really the boss. When he wants to be fed, he gets to be fed, right? When he wants to sleep, he sleeps. I don't have a lot of control. I'm just along for the ride.
0: That's a good way to put it. It's sort of like the first time in your life where you have this non negotiable partner in your life. <laughs> yes, like totally. With your actual partner, you can negotiate with your with other people in your life and in your business, there's like finding common ground or making concessions or trade-offs or being flexible. When it comes to babies, like you're right, they got to be fed when they want to be fed, sleep when they want to sleep or not sleep when they don't want to sleep, which by the way, how's that been impacting your life, the lack of sleep?
1: Yeah. You know, I think our, my son, George, he, uh, he's sleeping probably a little better than most babies. He's not quite sleeping through the night yet, but he's, you know, waking up once or twice a night. And sometimes he'll like today. He slept in until nine o'clock and I actually had to wake him up to take him over to my mom's house so that I could do this interview on time.
0: <laughs> nine o'clock, a six month old. Sleeping until 9 o'clock in the morning, that's well, – Oh, he
1: did get up twice in the middle of the night. All so. right.
0: Well, <laughs> thanks for it's keeping it honest. But yeah. still, that's got to be nice to have your mornings to yourself a little bit, a little bit of time to catch up. And thank you for for uh, making the arrangement so that you could be on the show. We had you on the show a couple years ago and that was sort of a- – you know, early on in the launch of Ri- the Rideshare Guy, which is a community that really services people who are in the Rideshare community, Lyft, Uber, there's so many of them now. I think that's also another thing that's really evolved since we last spoke is like first it was just Lyft and Uber. Yeah. Now, how, much, how big is this world
1: well, I mean, I think that Uber and Lyft are definitely sort of the, the biggest players, right? And most people have heard of Uber and a lot of people have heard of Lyft by now. And there's a few smaller rideshare companies in places like New York, Juno and Via and Get. Um, but, you know, now what we're seeing is that a lot of the food delivery services are becoming really popular. Even Amazon is getting into the game with Amazon Flex. You can deliver packages or food for Amazon. And a cool one that I'm I'm actually in the midst of trying out right now is for a new electric scooter company. They're sort of like the old Razor scooters that I, I road when I was a kid, but now they're electrified. And uh, they're la- this company Bird is launching all over the country, uh, a new city every week, it seems like. And they're actually hiring workers to go out and charge these scooters overnight. You pick them up and then bring them to your house and charge them and drop them off in the morning. So it's crazy all the number of different kind of work opportunities in the sort of ride sharing and gig economy.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of your thing is like you test out all of these services and you came to this with a background in aerospace engineering. And people, if you want to listen to Harry <laughs> talk about that transition, I encourage you to go back and check out, I think it was, I'm looking it up, episode 377. Yeah. So you made that shift. And um I have to ask you though, what is happening now or what is going to happen with the with the advances in self-driving cars.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a big question that's on the mind of a lot of people in the media and a lot of these big companies, these automakers and, you know, really a lot of different industries uh, that are involved in technology, Apple, Google, all these companies, they see this future where you can imagine, right? Every car on the road is self-driving and everyone can live further away and you can work, work in the back of your car since you don't have to drive anymore. And you kind of see this cool utopian self-driving world. But I think what we're seeing is that getting to that point is going to be a lot more challenging than most people think. I think the the timeline is probably at least 10 to 20 years off. And so I think there's going to be a lot of good jobs for drivers in the meantime. And to be honest, even at that point, when self-driving cars start to come onto the road, it's going to be a mix. It's going to be a hybrid fleet of self-driving cars, human drivers. And so there will still be jobs for drivers. And I think some people, especially even at Uber and Lyft, have said that uh, in the future when self-driving cars, you know, since there's no driver and the, the vehicles will also all be electric, so maintenance costs will be a lot and uh, the, the cost of taking an Uber, a self-driving Uber is going to be significantly lower, which may even increase demand and cause them to need more human drivers before they need less just because it's going to be so long uh, for them to kind of balance uh, the supply.
0: How might that impact your business? I mean, I guess you're going to go with the flow or you've got maybe an exit strategy around <laughs> the time when you anticipate, car, you know, ride car uh, sort of self-driving cars taking over.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I've been doing my site now for close to five years. So if I'm doing it another 15 to 20 years, I'll be surprised, but also probably (laughs) things will be going well and I'll I'll be very grateful, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, I think really what I'm working on right now with my business, a lot of the front facing things that we do, the content we create, that's how people know us and that's how drivers come to our site and how we interact with media and people at these companies is they they see the content we're creating, whether it's on YouTube or the blog or now the book about driving for Uber and Lyft. Lyft and other companies, but behind the scenes, I found that there's really a lot of opportunity in kind of the mobility space. And I'm not an expert in self-driving cars. I'm not an expert in scooters, but I am, you know, since I've studied this industry for four or five years, you know, talk to tens of thousands of drivers. I am an expert. I feel like at this point I can say in the rideshare component and Uber and Lyft, this rideshare component, is really starting to intersect with a lot of these other areas of mobility, right? Self-driving cars, public transportation, you know, even the kind of personal mobility space, the scooters, the electric bikes that we're seeing all over the place. So in those intersection points, that's how I'm starting to now work with a lot of these other industries and businesses.
0: Mm, That's smart. Yeah, there's a lot of tangential stuff you can tap into. And that's probably a smart way to grow the business. You talk about in your book, the Rideshare Guide, which is great. This is really probably something your community had been asking you to write. And Uh. uh, one of the things that that caught my eye, I didn't read the whole book and really I'm not the audience, I suppose, (laughs) but uh, you do talk about something that did kind of spark my attention, which was diversifying your rideshare income. So walk us through that. What does that mean? And and, um, how do you do that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's great about driving for Uber and Lyft, I mean, first I should say, you know, the, the job isn't perfect, right? Just like anything there in life, really, there's positives and negatives. And my book and my site, my business in general is really about the people who want to do this. I'm going to try and help them to do it the best that they can to make the most money possible, to have the best experience. So I should definitely preface it with that because it's not perfect for everyone. A lot of people get into driving for Uber and Lyft or these other jobs looking to make a few hundred bucks a week. They start doing it and they realize, hey, this isn't rocket science. And I used to uh, uh, be a rocket scientist sort of since I interned one summer at JPL. So I think I can say that. But, (laughs) you know, it's not the most complex job in the world. But it is a little bit more challenging than you might think, right? It's the ultimate combination of customer service, um, you know, dealing with passengers, sometimes who are drunk, they get to rate you at the end of tri- every trip, safe driving too. Yeah. And then also just running your own business. And so I think that as any good business owner can tell you, as you yourself are new, sure, or me or the audience, that's you know the listeners right now that are owning a business, you understand, right? If you're very reliant on only Uber for your income, there are times where you might, accidentally get deactivated by Uber or maybe one of your documents expire. And if you're relying on this income, you need to have a backup plan. You need to also be driving for Lyft. And since drivers are independent contractors, that's one of the the nice things. You can work for multiple services. And, you know, even though most people are out there doing it mainly for the money, there are lots of other sort of similarly tangential opportunities, right, to work on your conversation skills. I know people I feature a couple stories in the book who of people who sort of have side hustles. I think one of them was a masseuse and she goes around and, you know, whenever passengers ask her what, what she, what else she does, she says, Oh, I'm a masseuse around Christmas time. She puts a little sign up in her car that says, Hey, need a good idea for a Christmas gift, right? That's all she says. And then people ask her about the sign. She says, oh, I do, um, I'm a masseuse and I can give, you know, I can give you a gift certificate for a massage for whatever, 50 or $75 or however much she charges, right? So lots of those kind of cool diversification options.
0: That's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, obviously diversifying your income through uh, working for the, the multitude of, car sharing companies. Right. Um, but that's a good idea too, is like having conversations, you never know. I mean, I love, I just love, love sometimes when I get a driver who is interesting, usually they're the ones listening to NPR. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they say, hello, and how are you? And, you know, like basic stuff. But it sometimes you, especially because in New York, we're so used to the like before uber and all the right. other services it was cabs and that's mm-hmm. all we kind of had and that was not a subway and i think that the relationship between passengers and cabbies sometimes wouldn't be the friendliest and so it was kind of refreshing for uber and lyft to enter into the market because you don't always get it but you when you do it's always nice to have a driver that you know wants to have a uh, Like just a friendly conversation. And um, I I have the number of people that I've met through these experiences that later I go home and tell my husband, You'll never believe my Uber driver today. (laughs) You'll never believe my Lyft driver today. You know, she's putting herself through her PhD program, or he actually was on his way to his full time job at Verizon. And this is his side hustle so he can get his fashion company off the ground. I'm not even making this stuff up. It's really amazing. And actually, the other day I was got a lift to go to my book to brand workshop mm-hmm. and which i don't know people who listen probably know it's this workshop i do in new york it's live two days it's helping entrepreneurs launch books and and he asked me you know where are we going and the address was sort of obscure and i was like oh it's this event space in manhattan i'm going to i have a workshop there and he goes oh do you mind if i ask what it's about and i told him and he goes that's dope and <laughs> yeah which is I love that. I'm like, I'm, I'm borrowing that. I'm ta- I'm ta- that's like, I'm going to make that part of the branding now. Um, but he saying. was like, do you want if I like look it up and maybe I'll, you know, st- apply. I'm like, absolutely. So it works both ways.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, I think that once you start doing it, you see that, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, most people are driving for Uber and Lyft because they need the money or they want the money. But there are a lot of cool, uh, you know, sort of side benefits, tangential experiences uh, that you can have. I mean, I know in one of your your past episodes, a reader was asking about uh, getting a job or, you know, switching industries or something like that. And I I know of drivers who literally are in San Francisco and they want to get hired at a tech firm. And so they go wait outside of Google, for example, at 5 p.m. when everyone is taking, you know, Uber and Lyft home and they just try to network and meet as many different people as possible and they can kind of target, you know, obviously they're picking up mainly these Google employees and they're trying to basically get in that way instead of just applying through the front door.
0: Lots of questions I'm sure listeners have about how much money can you make really at the end of the day and are the, what are the best ways to sort of hack the job so that you yeah. end up kind of making the most money. But I want to encourage you both to that, that you answered all of those questions back on episode 7 – sorry – 377. So go back and listen to Harry on So Money, episode 377. He goes through all of that. And so uh, I want to now take the time to, you know, answer your money questions because it's Ask Farnoosh time. And we have a number of questions through Instagram and other places. I want to ask you though, Harry, is there a big money question that your audience often asks you or the community?
1: Um, you know, I think that as far as, uh, you know, what my audience is asking, they're typically asking for how do they, you know, they're really big on sort of ways to make more money. <laughs> you know, I think like everyone, you know, drivers, they're always looking for ways to maximize their profits. And, you know, I think specifically, you know, what I typically tell them is to look for these new services that are popping up. Uh, you know, I think also there's a lot of opportunity with these companies when they're first launching or when they're expanding or, you know, kind of understand that, you know, you, you, I, I think a lot of people tend to maybe, you know, maybe be loyal to one company or one brand when they're working for someone. But I think you have to understand you ha- you can't be afraid of switching to someone else or working for someone else or kind of understanding your value. And that's typically what I tell them.
0: Great. All right. Chase on Instagram writes to me. He says, my wife is a teacher and we live in Utah. She has an option for a 401k or a pension. My question is, can we really trust the state pension Long term? This is a valid question. I think, you know, it used to be that pensions were the only way to invest for your retirement. Companies would take part of your paycheck, put it into this pension. And when you retired, it was guaranteed income, more or less. Though in modern days, not only do we have other options like 401ks and IRAs, but state funded pensions or other types of pensions, you know, they're still risky. It's not a guarantee. You know, I'm not the pension expert, but I will I know enough to say that they're not bulletproof. And the 401k is not bulletproof either. It is tied to the market. If you have the opportunity to invest in a pension as well, I wouldn't put all of the money that you have in there. It is, again, important to diversify, just like you diversify within a fund, to diversify in all the ways that you're investing for your future. So maybe you also have a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, as well as a 401k, as well as maybe putting some money into this pension. When you were working full-time, Harry, what was your way of saving for retirement?
1: So I had the option of a 401k and I think my company also offered an employee stock purchase plan which was a great deal and it took me a while before I ever figured out that I should be maxing it out since they gave you a discount at the pre- you know on the price of the stock either at the beginning or end of the year but you know I think in this case for sure I agree you hit the nail on the head with the diversification aspect I think pensions are pretty rare these days so it's almost you can look at it as an opportunity or an advantage that you might have to put a little bit of money into a pension and you know there is obviously risk there, so I wouldn't put everything in there. But I think definitely, you know, having that sort of fixed, stable income. I mean, there are a lot of people who end up, uh, you know, that I work with, uh, you know, in, in the rideshare community that depend on their social security and they need a little bit on top of that. And so I sort of look at the the pension as a as a combination or a benefit that you could take advantage of for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that even if the state does lose resources, goes bankrupt. I think that there is going to be a priority in terms of what they do fund and pensions exactly. are pretty high up there because that's kind of the promise, right? That you're going to arrive right. at retirement. They've been contributing to it all these years. It's kind of like social security. People say, well, uh, what's going to happen? I say, well, look, it may not be around, but I think that if you have been paying into it, you're obligated to some extent to get that money back or get some sort of fixed income in retirement. Um, it's it's more of a question for the future generation. Will they even have access to something like Social Security, which is a valid question. Good luck, Chase. Next question is from Jess on Instagram. And she says, I'm going to be going into my last year at school, Harry, and she's been fortunate because her parents have been paying for college up to this point, but it's her last semester and now her parents are saying, you're on your own. (laughs) So she's going to have to pay for it herself, roughly $20,000 in tuition. So she wanted to ask us, what is our opinion on taking out loans? She was thinking that she could probably pay it herself with the money that she's saved up over the years. Doing internships, but kind of was wondering maybe she should do a combination of cash and loan. So if it's a twenty thousand dollar bill, maybe she would pay most of it in cash and then take out five or ten thousand dollars in loans. Because one, she thinks it could help her build credit, and the other thing that she's hoping for is that when she graduates, she'll work for a company where there's a loan assistance program for grads. She's actually in talks with the company that offers this. So that's a likelihood. Look, five or ten thousand dollars in student loans, I don't think is like super terrible. I think <laughs> I think that in the grand scheme of the student loan debacle that our country is facing, that is pennies. And if she has the money to pay for that, whether that's right after she graduates or soon after, whether it's through her assistance program in her company or just through her own paycheck. It's totally doable and it would help you build credit. And I, I kind of don't mind that she would want to do this even though it's not necessary. She's got the cash, but she's like, you know what? Maybe I'll just get the loan and pay it off quickly. Not a bad idea.
1: Yeah, no, I think this uh, somewhat mirrors my situation when I was in college. It was kind of a combination of my parents paying for some of it. I got some financial aid and then I also worked during college, so I paid for some of it. So I came out with pretty minimal debt. I think it was around $20,000. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it has to be all or nothing, right? You don't have to pay it all off or, you know, take out a $20,000 loan. I think a mix or a hybrid approach of paying some or half and then keeping a little bit of flexibility cash, uh, you know, but like you said, uh, overall in the grand scheme, you know, being five to 10000 in debt uh, with student loan when you graduate and having job prospects, I think it's a pretty good uh, and enviable position to be in. Yeah,
0: I agree. And, you know, there is going to be a likely grace period from when you graduate and when these student loans would come due. And it's usually a six month grace period. So within those six months, you could, if you're just taking out $5,000, you prefer, you know, you realistically, you could get that $5,000 either through just Saving over the, over the six months or maybe taking your starting bonus or maybe you work the summer before and you shore up that cash. And so when the loan comes due, you just pay it all off in one payment. And that way you avoid the interest burden or paying as much in interest. So I'm, I'm for doing a little bit of a hybrid. I'm with you, Harry, on this and good luck, Jess. And congrats on almost graduating. Kind of also like that. Her parents are making her have some skin in the game. Just just before I wrap that one up, <laughs> it sounds like she always knew this was going to be the case. It has instilled in her this savings discipline because she has saved money from those internships. She knew this was going to happen, and so I'm kind of want to giving props to her parents for for putting this uh, kind of discipline in place.
1: Yeah, right. I, I really like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, something to think about. We're we're not there yet, but something to definitely think about when our kids head to school. And then we have a question from Payal. I don't remember how this question came in. It might have been through Instagram. It might have been just, gosh, it could have been any number of directions, So many Podcasts, Facebook. She says, I recently got a job offer, and I'm trying to see what the proper terms are to make a counter. She says, I would be making way less money at this new job than my old job. I don't want to come off money hungry. What should I say to HR? Well, before she says anything to HR, I hope she does a lot of research, right, Harry? I mean, she has to kind of know what the market would pay for this job.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really like this question, to be honest, because I think it goes back to understanding your value. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased since I left the corporate world to become an entrepreneur. And, you know, I think at that point you really value yourself because you're the only one doing things. And, you know, I think it sounds like if she's going to be or she's even considering this new job and it pays a lot less, I'm assuming it's something she's much more passionate about or a much more exciting or interesting job. So it sounds like she's at least willing to take somewhat of a pay cut, but maybe not. 30, 40, 50 percent. And she's kind of stuck in that situation. And uh, I definitely agree with you. There's a ton of resources online, Glassdoor, a lot of salary review com type places. Uh, if you're in the sort of technology space, there's an app called Blind, where a lot of people will talk about their offers that they're getting. And kind of, you know, as the name implies, it's all anonymous. And so you can compare offers. And if they're offering, uh, you know, in tech, uh, offering shares is big. So they offer, they compare all those numbers and really just getting more information to see what's available and, you know, what's out there.
0: Yeah. And I would say, pile one really good question to ask HR as you're, you know, perhaps, countering is to say, you know, what is the salary range for my position? A lot of companies do have in writing a bit of a a range for each job. And it's not small companies or startups. It's more the mid to larger size companies with robust staffing and HR services. And they actually have this this range. And what is this? That's basically what the company has budgeted for your position. And it's a range. It could. It's. You're probably going to get an offer that is at the very beginning of that range. And then the more experience you bring to the table, the more years you work there as you negotiate, you have a, some playing field. And it could be, say, from $50,000 up to $80,000. That is really helpful information to get, to extract. They kind of have to tell you if you ask. They're not going to – just <laughs> offer the information over to you unsolicited but if you ask and you explain why you know I'd really love to know what is sort of the company's budget for my role I understand that I'm a new hire and I'm not going to make at the top of this range but it would be really helpful for me to have an expectation of what you know where how far I can reach financially and that I think can give you a lot of perspective as far as where they're meeting you in this negotiation if they're just giving you like the very bottom of that range or the beginning of that range, I think that that tells you that, you know what, you probably could ask for five or 10,000 more or, you know, five or 10% more. Back in the day, I was trying to get a raise at my new station job and I just kept hitting a wall with my station manager. So my father actually said, go to HR and ask them about your salary range just to give you some Perspective, like maybe there's not that much money left, and so I went and they told me that my salary range was between forty five and eighty five thousand dollars, and I was making forty seven thousand dollars, and I'd been there for two and a half years. Yeah, who's the dumb dumb? Me. So, well, I went back to my manager and I told her what I had discovered, and she was surprised, nonetheless. Did not give me a raise. And that's when I knew I had to leave. So sometimes it's not going to win. You're not in a win situation at the company. But guess what? When I switched jobs and when I went to negotiate at the next company, I kept that range in mind. And I figured it was kind of a standard, or not standard, but it was probably something that would have floated in the market elsewhere. And when I got to the street.com, they asked me what I wanted to make. And I said I would like to make this was ambitious, but I said, I'd love to double my salary and make $100,000. And they said, well, we can't do that. And I go, all right. Well, they said, how about 85? And I said, how about 90? And they said, deal. And, you know, thankfully I knew what I was worth. I was, you know, I think I was doing, I was pulling in $85,000 a year work back at the station, you know, going into the new job. I, I had a better sense of what my worth was in the marketplace. And I asked for it, and I pretty much got it. So that is something else to think about. I'm kind of getting ahead with that tip. But <laughs> I think that it's still good to know where you fall in this offer. All right, I think that's a wrap, Harry. What do you What do you say? What are your plans for the weekend?
1: Well, I think uh, my plans for the weekend are going to be. You know, my wife she's a she's a busy uh, medical resident, so I usually have oh, my son for goodness. Yeah, I usually have my son uh, at least one day on the weekends by myself and then usually Fridays, too. So I usually have him two to three days uh, a week all by myself. And luckily, uh, running my business, I can work really hard on the other days and then hang out with him and have one day with my wife. But we'll probably do some baby-friendly uh, activities.
0: Live in the life. Sounds like you guys have really figured it out and it's... It sounds hard too, though. I will I will give you that credit.
1: But it's... <laughs> well, it's definitely a little funny when I when I go to the park and it's all of the. Uh, it's mainly I would say almost ninety percent probably mothers mm-hmm. and uh, nannies and then me. <laughs> so, but you know, I kind of I've always been a little bit of a iconoclast, so I like kind of being in that position. And you know, for me, it's all about what are the things that I care most about, and mm. you know, putting putting myself. Uh, I like I love spending two to three days a week uh, all day with my son. Seven days a week might be a little intense to be. Oh frank. no, that's but, not healthy. Uh,
0: for either yeah. one of you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> thank you so much Harry. That's a that's a cute story and we really appreciate you all that you're doing for this community and the advice that you're sharing and really so impressive how much you have built this platform and this business for yourself. And sounds like you're having it all, I dare say.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that I feel very fortunate that I started my site, uh, you know, really the timing was great when Uber and Lyft were just getting big and getting popular. And I think for me, whenever, whenever I'm taking on any type of projects, you know, I'm always looking for a few different things, something that's interesting and exciting to me, something that's a business opportunity and something that I can help people. And it's been cool to see through content, you know, I mean, readers, I'm sure that your listeners, I'm sure you've gotten very nice emails or very very nice thank yous. And it it always feels cool to create something uh, like a book and then people email you or let you know that, Hey, this was so helpful. This was super helpful. I really appreciate the work that you're doing and they're paying me at the same time. So it's all (laughs) kind of feel like it's a win, win, win for everyone.
0: Yes. And I do have the best audience and they do keep me on my toes and they give me feedback and I couldn't do this job without them. So thank you to all listeners out there. Harry's new book is called the ride share guide. Everything you need to know about driving for Uber, Lyft and other ride-sharing companies. Congrats again on that. And everybody, hope your weekend is so money.